This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, producer Gabe here. I just wanted to hop in and let you know that we ran into some technical issues with this episode's recording and had to refer to our backup. The audio is fine, but not quite where we'd like it to be. So if you'll bear with us, we'll be back to normal next week. Thanks for your understanding and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the latest Awards Blend podcast, a weekly show that is part of Cinema Blend's growing network of podcasts. My name is Sean O'Connell, and I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and it is my great pleasure to welcome you to Awards Blend number five. The podcast is off and running, and today is probably the biggest day uh, that we've had yet in terms of launching this, this podcast dedicated to the awards race because we actually have Oscar nominations to talk about and to discuss in depth. So joining me as always are my great friends, Jake Hamilton and Kevin McCarthy. Jake is the entertainment uh, reporter for Fox 32 in Chicago. Say hey, Jake. What's up, guys? Good to, I'm ex- I've been excited about this one. This one in particular, I think is going to be awesome. I think so too. And Kevin is the entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. How goes it, Kevin McCarthy? Yeah, I think the Oscars didn't make a lot of mistakes today, so I'm excited that we get to uh, <laughs> oh, do the podcast God. together. <laughs> Jakey, Jakey. I'm going to argue that uh, the longer that I thought about the nominations today, the angrier I got, but we will explain oh. why in a little bit. Because every single week, the three of us um, play co-hosts of this lovely podcast, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, huge news today, Oscar nominees to discuss. Uh, we were up bright and early this morning listening to the awards get announced by... Let me take a minute just ask about Tiffany Haddish. Was there a reason why she couldn't pronounce anyone's names? Did you guys catch this? One? I don't know, but I honestly didn't particularly find it very funny. I actually hopped on social media after the live announcement to sort of see what people's reaction. I know a lot of people did find it sort of funny and comical, but I don't know. I thought that was a little disrespectful. And if, if I'm, you know, waiting to hear my name called and it's just complete, you know, this is your moment. This is a life moment that many people in the business have been waiting their entire life for to sort of hear someone butcher your name and then laugh about the fact that they got it wrong. Just sort of takes a little bit of this, of the, the moment away. I thought that was a little disrespectful. And you're not getting surprised by these names. These are the names that have been in contention. You could practice, you know, 10 of them for the five that are going to get nominated, basically. Yeah. I already had a problem with the idea that uh, Andy Serkis and Tiffany Haddish were doing the nomination announcements because I thought they were two actors who deserve nominations themselves. And and specifically Andy Serkis uh, for War for the Planet of the Apes. And I actually genuinely think that Haddish deserved the nomination for Girls Trip. She was fantastic in that movie. Uh, holding it together emotionally and and uh, and comedically, but uh, I just thought it was a slap to the face that the Academy uh, over these years still has a hard time embracing uh, different types of genres like a, like a comedy and or what a sci-fi whatever wherever you would put Planet of the Apes. So to me, having those two people up there just made it a bit of a more slap to the face that uh, that they were not going to get nominated. And it was kind of calling, you know, I I found that to be disrespectful, in my opinion. So when all was said and done, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water leads all nominees. It has 13 nominations total, including um, heavy hitters, best picture, best director. uh, Sally Hawkins got best actress. um, 
Octavia Spencer walked away with a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Uh, I thought all of that was be was to be expected. We had a number of real surprises that I think we're going to go through in a lot of the major categories. But why don't we start at the very top with Best Picture? Uh, we didn't know if we were going to have you know anywhere between five to ten. We end up with nine. Uh, any huge surprises in your guys' opinion about maybe? Let's talk about right off the bat um, of the nine. What didn't make the race? Uh, there's ones that jumped out to me, like Wonder Woman didn't contend for anything. I thought best uh, the big sick had a really good chance of getting into best picture. Yeah, it didn't. I, Tanya, Is there one that stood out? I Tanya, that's I Tanya, I Tanya for me, and and especially considering how much love they gave Mudbound in other categories, I mm-hmm. was a little surprised. It's not a movie I would have put on the best picture list even last week, but leading up to it, it getting uh you know uh, cinematography, uh, first female cinematographer in 90 years. Uh, getting an original song nomination, uh, supporting actress for Mary J. Blige, leading into it, a screenplay nomination for D. Reese, leading yeah. into it, I thought, okay, like it's it's gonna get a best picture shot, and suspiciously, it did. I don't know why it didn't get that tenth slot, which makes me wonder if people are still a little hesitant to award uh, a best picture nomination to it for a film made by Netflix. Um, but for me, I Tanya was also a big one to not to see it not get a nomination. Yeah, I was surprised The Big Sick didn't get in there. I, I, I would have bet money that that film was definitely going to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, now, I know we had our, we had discussed this earlier on other shows about Darkest Hour getting in there. I, I, I had a feeling that was getting in there all along, considering Gary Oldman was going to get nominated for Best Actor. I know we had that idea of the uh, it's happened before where there, there's been a discrepancy between the two categories. But I don't know. Phantom Thread, to me, was the biggest shock. I was so happy to see that in there. Uh, I was really, really hoping it would be in there, and it, and it ended up uh, and it ended up pulling it off. So, And then, obviously, Paul Thomas Anderson getting nominated was a big deal, too. So, We are going to yeah, dive talk- into Phantom Thread and talk about whether it's an actual contender at this point, because, to me, I was stunned at how many categories it showed up in. Yeah. And, yeah. But in a way, I wrote this on the site today. I wrote this in Cinema Blend. I was like, there's always a movie that comes out at the end of December – it gets into like New York and LA theaters, so it can contend. Sometimes it's like a out of left field Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, in Yuritu, I think pushed The Revenant into theaters at the very last minute, so it can contend. So I wasn't surprised that you know Phantom Thread tried to get there, but the fact that that the Academy took the time to watch it and not only just like lazily checked off uh, Daniel Day Lewis as just like oh it's Best Actress's last potential role, but but for Paul Thomas Anderson to land in the director category, that was a big surprise. Without Leslie a DGA. Manville. Yeah. Yeah, Leslie yeah. Manville. Like, has she gotten a nomination in any of the other major awards up to this point? I don't think so. Not that Dude, I can Paul think Thomas of. Anderson didn't have a DGA nomination. I, <laughs> I, I, that was incredible that he was nominated for that award. I was so happy. So who – wait. So now I'm going to look up the DGA nominations while we're looking at this too because I want to see who got – do you know who got in and, and or who he Bless took you. the place of? Thank you. Sorry, I'm allergic to good podcast. Kevin, <laughs> do you know who he took the place of? Uh, okay, hold on. DGA was Nolan, uh, no Spielberg. Wait, hold on. Who was DJ? DJ was Nolan. Greta. Go ahead. Uh, wait, I'm looking at the, now I'm looking at the Oscars. Oh, no, no, no. McDonough. So McDonough didn't get uh, it. Yeah, that's a, that was a big loss for them. Yes. Other than that, it was Nolan Gerwig, Jordan Peele, Del Toro, and Martin McDonough. And then McDonough lost out to Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Wow. That's still, I'm still having a hard time processing that. But I want to get – we'll get to the director's category in a second. Yeah, because um, I want to talk about whether or not that kills three billboards. <sighs> Dude, I'm not ready to say three billboards is a front runner anymore. Dude, at this Shape point. of Water is going to win Best Picture. I, I that, think that's, so, that was decided on a long time ago. And I think that 
When it all comes down to the uh, best picture race, that is out of the five main categories, including the acting categories, that is the one that has a bit of a, of a, of a question. So it could be three billboards. It could be shape of water. I think the four acting categories are completely locked in. No question. I disagree uh, with that. I disagree. Oh, but, I but back, but back to your comment about best picture shape. Of, the reason I agree with you that the shape of water is right now, the front runner is because it's the, of the, the, the nine best picture nominees. It's the only one that has a presence in both the major categories and the technical categories, as I would say above and below the line. I mean, even though get out had an amazing morning, it wasn't nominated for a cinematography or a production design or a score, and I think those nominations do matter. Um, I mean, Dunkirk, unfortunately, was missing out uh, an actor nom- nomination, and, and uh, I mean, has there been a Best Picture winner that didn't at least get an, a- an acting nomination? I don't know. Um, I mean, to no. me, to me, Dunkirk did. Dunkirk did get an acting nomination in my book. I would say like Zimmer's score was the performer of that film, but I mean I, that, that that's oh little, dear God, it is. I mean Zimmer's Zimmer's score was the leading character in the movie. You guys all know that, but uh, there was no. Well then, actor. well then, Tom Hanks got a nomination because he was Meryl Streep's <laughs> sparring partner. Because Meryl Streep got nominated, Tom Hanks also got nominated. <laughs> I also feel that that those rules for what contends and what has to win to get in, like those just seem to be falling by the wayside. You know, it used to be like director and picture lined up all the time and then yeah. lately they haven't and so now that's become less of a thing and yeah well even year, like Ar- remember argo won best picture and affleck didn't even get nominated right yeah, but argo, exactly. argo argo only won best picture because everyone felt bad that he didn't get nominated i don't think argo necessarily won best picture because it was the best picture of the year i think there well, was no this, movie wins best picture because it's the best no picture of the but year. i i think that argo won because everyone because what right when affleck didn't get nominated for best director it was like this huge outrage. i mean i do remember that but it also had quite a bit of buzz going into that oscar race like there was i mean that was a, it was a crowd-pleasing film that generally everyone liked and it made like 120 130 million oh, at the box office it, did, it was well, a perfect concoction for best picture Oh, I agree, but I, I just genuinely think that a lot of those votes came from the idea that Affleck was snubbed, and it was like, oh, okay, we'll we'll just give it to him for picture, and, and then that'll be fine. I'm not saying Argo was a bad movie. I just think I remember that time period and how how much yeah. of a shock it was that Argo didn't get a Best Director nomination. And I think that. But that was also like a big year. Like I remember several people. I remember that was also the same year that Catherine Bigelow didn't get nominated for Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, I remember the. Uh, what was it? Uh, the, the guy that directed Les Mis. I remember it was a big deal that he didn't get. Uh, was Hoop. it Hooper? Yeah, Hooper. Tom yeah, Hooper, I remember yeah. Hooper didn't get a nomination for Les Mis. It was like three or four directors that famously just weren't nominated. So, I mean, we like Tom I, Hooper on this podcast a lot. And I didn't expect do. when I launched an Oscar podcast to discuss Tom Hooper yeah. as often as we do. And yet we do. We should but have Jake, him as a guest. Jake, you've mentioned this in the past about the idea of uh, uh, you know, Jamie Foxx's uh, run about what he's going to say on the stage yeah. uh, and the idea of playing that game and being entertaining on the mic if you win. Uh, Affleck famously got up on that Critics' Choice stage and said, I want to thank the Academy when he when yeah. he got his uh, win for, I think, director at the Critics' yeah. Choice Awards, which was a, obviously a joke towards the fact that he didn't get nominated that yeah. year because I think it was the same day that the nomination yeah, was. Yeah, I remember, I remember it was the exact so, same day. But also, he's not the first person to make that joke. Jim Carrey famously made that joke whenever he won Best Actor for a Drama at the Golden Globes, but then didn't get uh, 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 an Oscar nomination for Truman Show. So, like, it's, I mean, talk about someone that should have been nominated for an Oscar by now. Ooh, there's a a, uh, segment we should do. People that haven't been nominated that should have won by now. All right. In the coming weeks, folks. 
nine best picture nominees. Let's go over the nine best picture nominees really fast for people who who maybe have been sleeping under a rock this entire time and have not heard them read aloud, especially read aloud by by us. Um, but call me by to, your name. To listen to an awards podcast. <laughs> right. We are breaking news right here. Call me by your name. Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboard, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Do you guys have a big problem with any of them being included? Uh, I, I, mean, I, I don't. I'm not. I don't particularly love Call Me by Your Name. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, at this point, it's also not not like it. I've also sort of come to accept that when it was going to be nominated. Um, so it's, it's hard for me to say, oh, I have a problem with it because I would have been surprised had it not been nominated. Okay. I, I, I'm happy because my top two films of the year were nominated, like only from a personal standpoint, Dunkirk and get out, uh, get, get out was, had an amazing morning. As Jake said, I was just very happy to see a film that brilliant, get recognized, especially coming out as early as it did, uh, in the year. Uh, to me, the again, the, I think the biggest omission here is maybe something. I, I don't know. I was kind of hoping they'd throw in Wonder Woman, uh, right. only in, the, in that tenth slot. And I remember I was on the air today live uh, when they were giving the announcements, and they did them all in alphabetical order. So they're going through, and then Three Billboards is the last one, and I'm like, oh wow, there there could be a tenth. W coming up here with Wonder right. Woman. Um, and listen, I, I love Wonder Woman. It was in my top uh, 10 of the year. Uh, or Logan, I think, should have been on this list somewhere. Uh, but I, I don't think anybody expected either of those films to be making a best picture list. So uh, in my opinion, the big sick uh, was probably the biggest shocker that it didn't make the list, as I mentioned earlier. But uh, I'm happy. Yeah, my thing is, I don't, I don't dislike any of the nine films. Like, do I necessarily think... Some like I don't think Darkest Hour is necessarily a best picture contender. I didn't come yeah. out of that and be like, oh, that's but I listen, about I didn't, a film that overperformed today. I didn't come out of Get Out. When I saw Get Out back in February, I liked what it did, but there's no way that I came out of it saying, Oh, that's a best picture contender. It was it that's a movie that it benefits from repeat viewing. And oh, then yeah. you go back Without and you question. see on a second time and a third time, and we've said this before, and you're like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that this and this and this. And that movie is the perfect example of of a film that's just the quality of the film kept it in the conversation. And that thing's an Oscar contender on merit. Like that thing yeah. earned it completely. You know, yeah. you know how and, risky it you know how risky it is to make a movie like that, knowing that it does require that repeat viewing to fully, completely grasp it. And I think that uh, to me, I give credit to Jordan Peele in the sense of, you know, most people will watch Get Out one time, so they will never fully get that full appreciation of every little detail that went into the script, into the story, right. into the performances. Um, so he has to rely on if an Oscar voter were to watch the movie one time, is my movie good enough on one viewing, which it is, thankfully. Uh, but the beauty of that film is, is the gift that keeps on giving. And we, we've discussed this many times in the podcast that uh, as you watch that film on a second, third, and fourth viewing, you're picking up things you never even thought of before. Um, so uh, I'm just happy that it made it in probably a lot on one viewing from a lot of voting members. Uh, and I'm hoping that another viewing happens prior to voting, because uh, maybe I think that, that, could, that, that could push it a little more further into the direction of possibly winning. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. But I, I think if people saw it as many times as we all did and had the same discussions that we did, uh, I think they would find that the layered quality of that film uh, is 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 beyond belief. It's a, it's a classic that's going to go down as, as, as one of the greatest films, in my opinion, of all time. 
All right, hands down to me, the most interesting category of the nominees announced this morning was Best Director. Um, oh, without And I question. think we were, yeah, the three of us were always going to sort of lean towards Best Director. Anyway, it's the kind of thing that we're interested in. But those five nominees, you have two first-timers off the bat, which blows my mind. Um, uh, Greta Gerwig being, the, um, I think, the fifth female to be Best. nominated in Best Director. Yes. Yep. Gordon, uh, jo- uh, Gordon, Gordon, Jordan Peele, <laughs> Gordon, Gordon uh, Shumworth. Uh, okay, Jordan Peele is the first African American. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm worse than Haddish. The first African American to get in as a first timer, also I believe. Um, Del Toro, being the, we were saying, if, if he were to win, it's the Mexican directors in Yuritu and Quaron and Del Toro dominating. Um, and then Nolan, no, Nolan getting his first directing nomination, which, which is, is crazy. Insane. That's insane to even say. Also, like, this is the first time that all five Best Picture or Best Director nominees have written their films as well. Yeah, that's wow, that's crazy. Really? I didn't yeah. even think wow. about that. Yeah, yeah. and wow. Jordan Peele is only the third person, and I don't know who the first two are, but he's only the third person to get picture, director, and screenplay for his first film. That's incredible. Yeah. It's so insane. There's so many uh, amazing stories just in these five yeah. nominees. It's incredible. That's interesting all right, they so- all wrote them, because I, I, I think that the interesting thing about that is they obviously are completely married to the story and and and... and Oh, I think writing and directing your movie is the ultimate thing. I mean, it's weird because, like, you look at someone like Spielberg who doesn't really write his films, right? No. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think no. he's. Yeah, so it's interesting to me, like, how certain filmmakers uh, rely heavily on other writers, but also some filmmakers are just brilliant at, at directing yeah. their own material. But also, so. you know, it's funny. Too, I, I totally get what you mean by Spielberg not writing his films. I don't think he obviously he doesn't physically write the screenplay, but I also feel like he kind of writes the film with his style. Like, I, I, I know that he didn't write Jaws or didn't write Raiders or didn't write Close Encounters. But whenever I think Spielberg attaches himself to a film, he's he's writing the film in a way. Oh, I, yeah. I, if that makes any sense whatsoever. But oh, I, but, that's but the director's I, voice. I mean, totally. Yeah. I mean, But him I mean, more I, so than anyone else. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that, like, yeah, I mean, the Spielberg thing is interesting because he has made so many great films that he really hasn't yeah. written. Uh, I, I just thought about that the other day, like, but like Tarantino, right, directs his own material. Yeah. Uh, you know, and even so like the the one what Kevin Smith did, Cop Out, which I believe is the only film he didn't write. Like it's such an un Kevin Smith yeah, yeah, yeah. film. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, uh, this is Spielberg's eleventh Best Picture nominee, which makes him the most uh, win, the most nominated living director uh, in uh, in cinema history. I think okay. I think I think it's eleven. And then who the guy that has the record passed away? I think he has thirteen best picture. Deservedly so. I mean, Spielberg is arguably the greatest filmmaker that's ever lived. I mean, I, I would personally go Hitchcock and Tarantino, but I think and, and Nolan. But I think that uh, Spielberg has earned that statistic. No question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's directed some of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, and, and and my comment wasn't knocking Spielberg. Oh I no, just, for I, sure. Yeah, I, I know. Just found it interesting uh, that that the comment you made yeah. about every about them writing it. Um, I, it it's fascinating. There's a there's a connection there. You know, it's it's the difference between having a biological child and adopting a child. It's I mean, they're still yeah. your children. You still love them, but there's uh, you know, there there maybe there's it's a different sort of connection between writing a film and and directing a film that you didn't actually write. Can I just say that Paul Thomas... I'm sorry, go ahead, Sean, go ahead. No, go ahead, Kevin, that's fine. I I just want to say Paul Thomas Anderson getting in there, uh, it was pure shock and joy today, and and I think... I had mentioned this on the podcast before. I, I wish that Phantom Thread, I had seen that prior to my top 10 list because that would be in my top five of the year. We discussed this last week. I, I would have probably put that at number five. Um, and I just... 
I'm just so happy that that film got recognized and, and Paul Thomas Anderson got recognized. And, and I and I remember walking out of that film in 70 millimeter in, in L.A. at the Arclight, just purely blown away by it. And there was a part of me, though, that when I walked out of that movie that felt sad that no one was talking about this film and it had no Oscar buzz. And I remember like sitting in that theater legitimately feeling alone in the sense of that I'm like, Wait, am I the only person who really loved this movie? Because I remember, like, at that time, not a lot of people were talking about it. It didn't have a lot of Oscar buzz. Nobody was really putting it up there in directing categories and anything like that. And I remember sitting in this theater going, man, am I really the only one who feels that? I knew I wasn't the only one, but I felt alone like that because no one else was really talking about it. So yeah, it but just- you know, but but the slate is now literally wiped clean and yeah. and the race starts all over yeah. now. And yeah. focus can can change the conversation, which and we're going to get to this in a little bit. I think that that Universal can change the conversation and turn Get Out into this movie that Oh, Even yeah. if you've seen it, you have to see it again. Yeah. You know, now you're a nominee and now it's something totally different, right? Yeah. Now yeah, you I have had a producers in my ear today saying, wait, where can I see Get Out? Where can I, yeah. do I, is it a daily? Like, and I think I that'll happen it? for Phantom Thread you, also. I think more people will now be like, oh, wait a second. This is something I need to check out, Kevin. Yeah. I think people are going to get on that bandwagon. Best line of the day was Tiffany Haddish saying, I got to see this Dunkirk movie. Everyone seems to like it. I was so happy because it was an interesting <laughs> thing. And, and I think Warner Brothers will be smart about this. Obviously, they're going to re-release Dunkirk in probably 70 millimeter IMAX and IMAX throughout all the country. Um, right. But I think you're right, Sean. I think Get Out and a film like Phantom Thread could be a winning film based on the next month and a half campaign. And I think, like, specifically Get Out. And, I, and listen, I, I think we all know that uh, in, in, in fairy tale land, I, I would love to see Get Out uh, win this award because I think that the other two that are completely going to win this that we know of are Three Billboards and Shape of Water. Uh, I would be totally cool. I mean, listen, as much as I love Dunkirk, I would be totally amazing and cool if Get Out beats those two films. But you uh, don't know what they have going stuff. for them, both Phantom Thread and and um, Get Out to a certain extent. They have more interesting things still to discuss about them uh, oh, yeah. in the weeks going forward. Listen, I love Shape of Water. I think it's really beautiful. Me I too. love Lady Bird. Th- these are movies, and, and even Dunkirk to a certain extent, they're movies that have almost played themselves out a little bit. I'm not quite sure what else you can bring up about them that hasn't been discussed already at length. Um, yeah. But with something like Get Out, you can be like, look, a return trip to the theater to go see the movie that if you only saw it once, you haven't seen it. Yeah. You know, the joke about Nolan and like, hey, oh, if you haven't seen Dunkirk sitting in Christopher <laughs> Nolan's lap, you know, while it's 70 millimeter <laughs> beamed right in your eyeballs, you haven't really seen it. Uh, I, with Threat is so new that people I, haven't it, really had a chance to even discuss it yet. So. And I, like you have to think of it in terms of like being a part of the conversation, like, oh, like, you know, your friends are talking about Get Out. Don't you want to talk about Get Out, too? Like, don't you yeah. want to? Don't you kind of want to be at the water cooler sort of, you know, it's beyond like, hey, did you see that movie where the lady has sex with the fish? Like, it's beyond that. Like, we're talking about a group of people sitting down and talking about racial relations in America through a horror film of all things. Yeah, I mean, as one of our as as one of our readers or listeners actually pointed out, like, you're going to want to go to Phantom Thread to hear Toast be buttered. It's it's going to happen. I saw that tweet and I am probably assuming that it was a joke. No, uh, I don't think it is. I think because and, and you I got, thought he was making fun of Kevin. Me too, uh, because if you listen to the podcast, I was the uh, if, and, and even in my Instagram post, I was so 
blown away by the sound of buttering of toast and swallowing water and yeah. pouring so water and chewing academy? food. But I don't think no, but it, did, it, it didn't get it didn't design. get sound, and that's that's where the tweet came from. Is that Kevin no was upset sense. and didn't get no it didn't oh, get a sound, I it and the guy it. goes, "But how did how did they know that's that the, the bread was being buttered?" So right. I took that as the guy was totally <laughs> making fun of Kevin. But to be fair, I also think it was in good spirits, and I love that we have listeners that listen close enough to be able to make jokes yeah. like that a week later. And the joke okay. being, I mean, I, I spent a little bit of the time on the podcast last week. If you're listening to us for the first time breaking down the sound design of that film a little bit yeah well uh sean you saw it in 70 millimeter as well as i did and i'm going again tomorrow at five o'clock to see it at 70 millimeter uh up near my house we actually have one left in our area which is awesome um but yeah i mean it is it i'm just i was so happy today and and i'm and the thing is you're live on television in, in in dc which is a very political market uh we're taking the oscar nominations live i'm like i'm behind the desk like, like like a little kid hearing things get announced like dunkirk and things like that but when phantom thread got in there I, it was a part of me was like that's awesome like i, I just felt so alone uh, initially when i loved that movie but i'm just it's just it's awesome so I, I do have to tell you even though i wasn't as big of a fan of the movie as you i don't disagree with a paul thomas anderson nomination like I, it may no, not be my I, favorite movie totally but he directed yep. the hell out of that yep. movie, and yep. no part of me says that he doesn't deserve that nomination. In fact, even though I liked Three Billboards better, I think Paul Thomas Anderson did a better job directing. Like I don't think Martin McDonough oh, yeah. did like any sort of anything special directing no, wise. Right. Um, right. To I think right. I think that the strength of that film was off of his screenplay. I yeah. do think that Paul Thomas Anderson nailed that well, film from a directing standpoint. When it comes when it comes down to it, directing. The key to directing is storytelling, clearly. So, uh, you know, you look at someone like uh, as simple as uh, Clint Eastwood, by the way. Eastwood's probably the most, yeah. one of the most simplistic uh, directors. I don't think he's a phenomenal filmmaker, but I think he's a, he's a solid filmmaker. Um, yeah. So you would argue that directing is telling a story and how well you tell that story. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of us like to think about the shot choices and the way the sound effects are done. But... You know, it is about the storytelling, but someone like a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Christopher Nolan, um, they are deciding on how to immerse the audience the best way possible. How do you create tension in a eating scene? And that all goes into Paul's mind about what he's choosing to use the sound. So to me, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think directing, while people say it's more about storytelling, I think it's I think it's a mixture of both of those. It's telling the story, but yeah. also utilizing all your aesthetics to immerse the audience. And while McDonough did a great job directing the story of Three Billboards, uh, I found that the immersion that Paul created in Phantom Thread or Dunkirk uh, or Del Toro created in Shape of Water was the perfect marrying of a storyteller and also the aesthetics. So to yeah. me, that, that, that's, that, that's a director. We are going to have an episode directed totally to dissecting the best director race. In fact, in the weeks leading up to, you know, between today when the nominations are announced and when the awards are given out on March 4th, we're going to try and take all of the the big six categories and and really break down the nominees in them and discuss them at length and talk about the people that are in it and and who we left out. But we're really going to focus on the nominees themselves and then and then front runners in each of the categories as we go. But but before we move on to Screen Actors Guild, which you have to discuss also, I have to talk about the best actor category because to me it's it's so disappointing in the way that it shook out because it feels like <clears throat> excuse me four people who are destined to just lose to gary oldman and i don't feel like that there was anybody who is going to stand up from that pack and and challenge him you have 
uh, Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis getting in for Phantom Thread, which again, I think all three of us kind of feel is not just a uh, gimme for his final role, although there's a, there's a sense, uh, there's a sense that it's a little bit just a, this is his last role. I, was, I don't know anyone that truly loves him in that film. I mean, I think right. I, I, I know that everyone universally agrees that he's good in it. I don't yeah. think Daniel Day-Lewis has the capacity to be bad, but there, I don't know any people that walked out of a screening going like one of the best performances of the year. I just he's better, didn't really he's, hear that. He's better than Hanks is in the post. That's oh, all whoa, 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 whoa. He's better whoa. than Hanks in the post. Um, he, really I, is. he is. No, I have to agree with that because I thought Hanks was, was very good in the post, he's but he doesn't good. give an Oscar worthy performance. Agreed. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have, he wasn't given moments. It's a, it's right. a subtle performance. It is. It is. Uh, and you, I think it's a fantastic argue, one. You can argue that Daniel Day-Lewis's performance is very subtle as well. It's very. Daniel Day-Lewis has never been subtle in his life. Well, he's pretty subtle in Phantom Thread. I mean, like, like, like he has like these moments, maybe these bursting moments, but like the climactic moment of that film is pure silence. Just, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. If his I mean? Oscar clip needs to be the tea is leaving, but the interruption <laughs> stays. <laughs> this is the greatest line ever. All, I, all, all I'm asking for <laughs> is that when the Academy does their clips, when you do get out, just do the tear, do the cry right. scene. For Kalu. All right, yeah. so yeah. Daniel Kalu, yeah. but. But Daniel I Kaluuya. think they, they might not because he's not he's not really speaking much in that scene. It's more Catherine Keener speaking. I think they need to pick a oh, not they need to, but I think they will they will think that they need to pick a clip in which he's actually speaking. As cool as it is to see him just sitting there with tears rolling down his eyes, I think they're going to need to pick a clip where he's actually saying something. Well, what scene would they use? Well, yeah, I mean, on, uh, on, uh, critics finish choice. reading oh, the nominees. Go, hold sorry, on, sorry. Hold on. Daniel Kaluuya, who we're discussing already, get out. Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, and then and then Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel, Esquire. I'm okay with that. I thought I don't think Roman J. Israel is a great film by any means, but Denzel blew me away in that film. He, he, okay, then that's that. That is the thing. Is that like? But but I think He's it's, it's so good. It doesn't surprise me because of of the quality of his performance because he is really really is fantastic. That was one thing I told people after I saw the movie. Movie's not good, but he is amazing in it. He makes the movie worthy of being seen. What surprises me about Denzel's inclusion is that no one is talking about that right. movie. Right. Like no one's talking about it. It came yeah. out in early November. It came and went at the box office. We all got screeners. I didn't even open mine because I'd already seen it. I, I I just don't. It's amazing that it has survived in this in this environment where movies are coming and going and 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 front runners and knocked out somehow. Freaking Roman J. Israel Esquire survived to live into Oscar glory. I agree with Jake. And, and, and it's funny because when that name got read, it, I wasn't, I, I was happy that he got read because it's a great performance, but I was still shocked that it got read because no one's talking about that film, as you mentioned, Jake. Uh, and I think that, but I, I will remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. I went and saw it at the Regal Majestic right up the street here uh, in Silver Spring, Maryland. I sat in a theater. The movie ended. I'm like, that was okay, but Denzel blew me away. Yeah. I mean, I, I am yeah. okay with the nomination. Uh, I think that it's it it is one of it's a phenomenal performance, and he elevates an okay film. Yeah. Um. So to me, I'm okay with it. Totally. In okay your opinions, why did James Franco get left out? Uh, enough people hadn't filled out their ballot um, before it was time to uh, before the duty because the, the big conversation about whether or not the sexual harassment allegations 
were going to affect his nominations. The reason that there is an asterisk next to it is because the, accu- the, the, the newest wave of accusations broke the day before ballots were due. So the question right. was, did most Academy voters already have turned? Did they already turn in their ballots by the time the accusations broke? And so it maybe it wouldn't affect him. To me, what it says is most people maybe. I mean, to be fair, accusations about about him have sort of been floating around for a while. They mm-hmm. they sort of came into light after the Golden Globes. But I I think either people hadn't turned in their ballots just yet, or they did already let it affect their um their decision. Though he did get a SAG nomination, so it couldn't have affected their decision that much that early. I have another theory about this one. My okay. theory is kind of that the Academy, although they're trying to influx younger members and bring in more diversity, it's still uh, largely old and white. And I think older Academy members who have the ability to vote pop that movie in and were just like, what is he doing? Like, But they gave it a screenplay. Is, um, yeah, they did. I, it's 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 a really off the wall performance. And if you yeah. don't know the room and, the, and if you don't yeah. know Tommy, like I, you might not even get what Franco's trying to do. Yeah, that, that, it is, thing, a, though, is, that, that yeah. is a movie that needs context. Like I, my, uh, you know, I, I watched it by myself having seen the room and both the, and I also read the, the, the book upon which it's based. Um, but sort of like Blade Runner, I've sort of told people like, yeah, you can watch it without seeing the source material, but you're missing out on what you need to make that movie special. Yeah. You know, look, looking at this category for a second, uh, and we were discussing this yesterday on text because, uh, again, if you're listening to us for the first time, Jake and Sean and I have a text chain and we just talk about movies and, and our and our ideas. Um, I think Oldman's win this year will be very similar to what Scorsese did uh, with his win for The Departed. Uh, they're going to give it to Oldman for everything. Uh, you know, everything. Everything. It, it bothers uh, me that I had to say that first. No, that's funny. <laughs> no, I, as it, as the word "everything" came out of my mouth, I I, I knew I missed that opportunity. Um, but <laughs> but the professional Dracula, Immortal Beloved, True Romance. Everything he's ever done, I think he's. I think that's what his win will be. Uh, while I find that wrong, uh, I'm. I, I've. I've been a champion of Oldman for many, many years. I love him uh, as an actor, and I'm. I'm happy to see him uh, get his due, almost like a Sam Rockwell and Three Billboards. I'm happy to see him finally getting recognition. Um, but I'm secretly hoping that Daniel Kaluuya takes this award, and I. And I. Yeah. And I. I don't think it'll happen uh, because clearly. And listen, last year. Uh, well, Casey Affleck won last year, right? And and he was winning all throughout the award season, even though uh, and and stuff popped up about him, and he still won. I don't think anything can really stop Oldman now, minus him, like you know, doing something horrendous in this next yeah. time period. But uh, I don't know. I, I just I I find it frustrating that someone like Scorsese had to wait till The Departed to win when he should have won for Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, whatever movies he made prior to The Departed, which was a great movie. Um, but I always find it interesting uh, that it? they had... What? Is it? What? The Departed, a great movie. I like The Departed. The Departed. Oh, we're gonna, no, 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 The Departed. We're going to get... Are you a co-op? Are you a co-op? Are you a co-op? The, the, so wait, 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 wait. The DiCaprio death scene in that film was one of the greatest shock deaths I've ever seen in a film ever. That, but, oh, but, the elevator door. Oh, my God. But anyways, but The Departed's a great movie. But Oldman is falling movie. into that exact type of thing here. Uh, sure. And he's, he's yeah. great. But I, I, I will say this. I cringe every time they show an Oldman clip for Darkest Hour as he's being read in a nomination. Not because he's not great at it, but it feels like, like, 
the spoof of what a, a, an actor would do to win an yes, Oscar. I get it. Yes, it I understand exactly what you're talking about. Or like when they do like the like the bad posters, like movies that are like meant to be yeah. bad posters. I yeah. totally get. It. You guys ever see Naked Gun 33 and one third? And they have to. And there's a bomb at the Oscars, and they yeah. show this uh, the, these these clips of all of these movies that are nominated. I think one of them is like a Mother Teresa musical. Like sometimes I I see clips, and I know exactly what you're talking about, Kevin. Like that one clip where he's like, "When will you understand? You can't put your head in a tiger's mouth." Oh, I don't know. Like to me, like that's a clip that would be playing in the Naked Gun 33 and one third scene. Over the over the past few podcasts, like that that tiger line is something you've brought up before yeah. about like because that's the clip. only freaking clip they show. It's a clip they'll use for the, uh, but but it genuinely, and I, and I love Oldman, but when I watched that clip, all I, I can't, I, I think of like Tropic Thunder, like yeah. the, the fake trailers and like, yes, trying too hard. <laughs> that is what the Oscar role would be for yeah. him. So to me, I, I'm just secretly hoping, and I know it won't happen, but Daniel Kaluuya, I just, I, I, I think he should win out of these five. Uh, I think it's the best performance uh, out of the five, in my opinion. I really okay, do. I have, I have, a, I have a bold prediction I'm going to make. So leading up to this point, the same four actors have won the four acting awards. It's been yes. Oldman, uh, McDormand, Rockwell, and Janney. I think come Oscar night, one of those four lose. Because I just don't think all four are going to win all. Because that very when is it? When is that? Usually there's one little sort of this here or there. I just I think one of those four loses. And Which I think, one? Which Honestly, one? if I had to put money on it, I think it would be Rockwell. Who does he lose? Yeah, I, I think, I I think, I think he loses to Defoe. Yeah, no. I agree with that. No, I agree with that. And I'll tell you why also, too, because um, Woody Harrelson is in the category also. And there's a chance that three billboards crowd could potentially split between the two of them. And Woody takes a few of the votes that might have gone to Sam Rockwell and it allows to focus. And also, because keep in mind, there's a, a small but ever-growing backlash of people that think it's not right that we are rewarding Rockwell's character. And if that continues over the next six weeks, the idea that a sort of laughing at a white cop who has tortured black men and then giving him what many people seem to think is an, unre- an uh, unearned arc by the end of the yeah. film, if people yeah. say, I don't want to reward that, and I don't really want to give it to Woody because he was like he Woody was good, but he was also kind of just playing Woody. But also, ooh, like Willem Dafoe's never won an Oscar. I think there's still a chance for Dafoe to get that what you call the career Oscar. I very much think I think well, of the four, one of them's going to be an upset, and I think it's going to be supporting actor. I think that cat. I think all four of those are locked. No, I don't. I no question. Nothing. I mean, I, I think Adrian Brody would tell you that no category is locked. All right, uh, real quick, before we move on uh, to SAG, uh, Sean, I know. But, uh, well, but right. this is kind of bridging our category because these are the four SAG winners, and this was what we're right. – like we looked at those four winners. These are the four front runners in those categories. I tend to right now lean in Jake's category. I, I don't think anyone is – I don't think anyone is 100% locked. Dude, McDormand is at 100% I, I don't think there is a, such a thing as a – Now, the only, the, the only argument about McDormand, and, and my wife – Lauren mentioned this. This was interesting. Um, when she gave her speech and, and said something about the uh, uh, the award being a doorstop, um, yeah. essentially yeah. essentially saying that like uh, that uh, Sir Sharonin or younger actor uh, maybe deserves this. Uh, that might upset some insulting. people that she doesn't really care yeah. about the idea of the award and then th- to give it to somebody who. But I think people like watching her speak, and I well, think that but- she has. I, I don't know. I, I think McDormand out of every, I think McDormand and Oldman 
and Janny are locked. So is Rockwell. I have no. I have. But no it's funny idea. that you said those three and then said Rockwell. Rockwell's locked, man. I, I, I don't I, think he's locked. I, I think dude. it's happening. Uh, mark my words. All four of them will win. What if it's Plummer? No. What if Christopher Plummer swoops in, and a movie he shot. <laughs> 11 days before the amazing <laughs> he's not gonna win that, that that was a courtesy nomination i think and i listen I, I think he's great in the film i think it's brilliant what he was able to do with the time that he had i'm happy he was nominated no chance he wins zero you know who gave the best performance in that category his name is richard jenkins richard jenkins he was amazing yes yeah, i do love richard amazing jenkins. Oh in that movie i do love and richard he's jenkins. not getting any conversation at all I it's either rockwell or defoe and he's a brilliant in it yeah I'd love to see Jenkins win. I, I'm oh. actually, I'm I'm not in the Defoe camp. I thought I agree with you. I I think you can call me crazy. Willem Defoe is better in the Boondock Saints than he is in the Florida Project. All right, I'm Listen, sorry. But, but no, wait. he is. So after is. the nominations came out, there was a contingent of people who did come out and say, "Hey, Florida Project is is one of these films." I know you guys didn't like it, but there's a contingent of people who are saying this thing's getting overlooked. And a few years from now, it's going to be a movie that people are going to say, why didn't we give it a little bit more attention? Um, and there might be people who think Defoe should contend because it's the only chance that this movie has of getting some recognition. And maybe they think that, that Francis is going to win for three billboards. So why give it to Rockwell? Or maybe yeah. they even think three billboards is the front runner right now because it's one sag. And that's a huge yeah. thing to put in the corner. I don't get the I don't get the Defoe love. I mean, and, and I and I listen. Willem Defoe's one of the greatest actors ever. I mean, he's an amazing actor. Well, there, there's that, your Defoe love right there. But that's that why. performance is not like I get Oldman. I, I it is a it's a good performance. Like Oldman's performance, and 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 if he wins, it's fine. It's a great performance. It's not his best, but it's, it's a good performance. Defoe you guys just said it reminds you of Tropic Thunder. It's a Tropic no, 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 Thunder. No, no, no. Hey, for the record, I said it reminds me of Naked Gun 33 and one third. First That's of all, another good one. those comments were in reference to the clips they show for the movie. That's, that, I wasn't referring to the performance. From the stuff. movie. But the no, 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 no. The, the movie. It was the idea that out of context, out of the darkest hour context, when looking at a 15, 20 second clip, it yeah. reminded me of what it would be like for an, a, a spoof of an actor. Kevin, giving. Sean is trying to get you to say that you hate Gary Oldman. No, it's not, I'm not going there. But I will say, listen, I think Defoe's performance in the Florida Project, it, it's under, it's 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 good at best. I don't it's find it to be. Performance. It's an everyman performance. Um, I don't, I didn't find it challenging. It didn't challenge me. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I get what you're saying because it wasn't showy. It didn't have these big splashy scenes. It didn't. But the way he holds all of those roles together, he's that sort of soundboard to some crazy characters. Yeah. And I just think that he's the glue yeah. that holds that movie together. You know, the, uh, and I can't think of her name, but um, the the young woman that played the mother in the yes. project, I was amazed that she yeah. never caught traction. Yes. But and, and I honestly, I think part of it comes from the fact that I just refer to her as the woman the that lady. plays the mother. Yeah. I don't know her I know. name. And I think um, she's and, brilliant. And I can't, I think her name is Brian, Brianna. Yeah. Or Brianna. Yeah, she's yeah. amazing. She was great. Yes. Like she, to me, she was better than Defoe was. Thank you. And, and, but I, I think, think part of we don't know if that's just her. Like, we don't know if she's acting or if they just cast someone who is like that from Florida. But, but I will say, like, you know, but I, know to Jake's point, she that's the performance. That little right. girl is even better than Defoe in the movie, in my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. I, I think that in this category, it's an interesting category. And I completely agree. Richard Jenkins delivered the best performance in this category. No question. Um 
And again, it's funny, and you can call me a hypocrite, but Rockwell winning, uh, I guess that'll fulfill my need of him winning for, for Moon or Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. And Green I, Mile. He's, and he's, he's yeah. and, um, like, I want yeah. him to win because I genuinely right. like him. I loved him. And the other Martin McDonough film, Seven Psychopaths, or even Amazing. Uh, uh, Frost Nixon, he was fantastic. Like, he, yeah. he has had a career. Like, I know many people don't look at him as someone that needs a career Oscar, but to me, that is the person that needs a career Oscar. Like yeah. he even made fun of himself on SNL. Like he's at, he is the guy, you know, in that movie, not the star, but the other guy. Yeah. And, and listen, I, and I just said five minutes ago, I'm against the idea of them awarding a career Oscar. Um, but something makes me happy about seeing uh, Rockwell up there. I don't know why. Also, uh, I, 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 I have an unpopular opinion. I am not against career Oscars because I want to go to bed at night knowing that Martin Scorsese got to stand on a stage and hold an Oscar in his hand. Like, does I, does he think that The Departed is, is his best film? No. No. But, but it's but keep in mind, he is not – like, The Departed is, was not competing against Taxi Driver, and, and they're, they're not saying that The Departed was his best film. They're saying that The Departed was the best-directed film of that year. Okay, hold on. We're going to get to that in a little bit because that's important. And last week we played a really fun game where we took best picture winners that don't deserve to be best picture winners and we discarded them. And so yeah. we're bringing that back, but we're going after best director winners um, recent. We said past 10 years, but I went a little bit deeper than that to talk about why they shouldn't have won the year that they won. And that's going to be a big point of discussion. So let's get to that because we're, so we kind of talked about the SAG winners and we kind of talked about the four who walked away from the SAG as as winners in their categories. Francis McDormand, Allison Janney, Sam Rockwell and Gary Oldman. Um, Jake and I don't think they're locks. Um, there's no such thing as a lock in, in, in no such Oscar thing as a lock. But, but right now we think they all have the momentum, yeah. you know, riding into it. But anything can change between now and then. We had three billboards, took home the, the best ensemble at SAG, but Shape of Water took home Producers Guild. Shape of Water has the most nominations, but obviously, you know, uh, three billboards still in the in category. Which of those coming off of SAG and PGA – and seeing the nominations this morning, if we were to say right now, today, on January, whatever today is, what is the front runner? And if you guys had to place your money on a on a film, what would it be right now? Shape of Water. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. I think um, you're probably right. Um, and the Producers Guild Award is a huge one for me. But because between now and when the final ballots are due that anything can change and a campaign can shift into another gear. I think get out can get back in that conversation. I, I don't so. disagree with you. I don't So, but it, it would be an interesting night because we wouldn't let me think about the order in which they normally do awards. The made though, the awards for which get out is nominated are mm -hmm. end of the night awards. So it would be a really interesting shift in the night because in theory, Shape of Water wins all the technical stuff, or mm -hmm. you know, or maybe even Dunkirk wins right. all the technical stuff, and then all of a sudden, the night would have to have this momentous shift where Get Out starts winning the big stuff. Because right. I mean, I would argue it has a really good shot at original screenplay. Oh um, yeah, that's and, definitely. And, and sort of like Pulp Fiction, I have a feeling that that's going to be Get Out's reward. Like we're going to give you something. Like here's here's a, here's original screenplay. But Pulp so, Fiction had like. Wasn't it nominated for like ten awards or or seven? It was whatever? nominated for for quite a it was few. A but lot. I mean, in yeah. the sense that like yeah. they give it something to be able to say it's an Oscar winning, like to show that they appreciate it. I'm right. just saying it would be a really interesting Oscar night. Though I also think that the technical awards could don't necessarily they're not all going to go to 
shape of water. I could very much see Deacons taking um, cinematography. Oh, wow. I know that I know, I know, you know, for, for Blade Runner, I could see Zimmer taking score for Dunkirk. I could see, you know, I could see, you know, I think Phantom Thread could take costume design. Sure. Uh, you know, Beauty and the Beast could take production design. You know, like, yeah, Shape of Water has 13 nominations, but it's not going to win 13 Oscars. And you guys, you guys know, know where I stand on, on Deacons. I think Deacons is one of the greatest cinematographers like of you all hate time. Roger Deacons. No, no, no. I just, I, I just wish you should have shot, yeah. shot Blade Runner on film. I mean, it looks, I mean, unless I think Blade Runner looks incredible and it's beautiful to look at, but it's too clean in my opinion. Uh, I think something like a Dunkirk or uh, something that's shot on film, uh, I, I just don't, Deacons has never won before, and I, and listen, I'd love to see him win. I just, I wish give I him wish, a career Oscar. I wish the win wouldn't be a, for a movie he shot digitally. I'm sorry, I just, I, I just, I can't. I, oh. I think Blade Runner looks incredible. Oh. That needed to be shot on film, and and, and I, I, listen, I am nowhere near the technical mindset of that guy. Clearly, uh, and he knows what he's talking about when lighting and shooting a scene. I just completely disagree with him on, okay. his, on his thoughts on film. The, let, me, let me ask you about this. If you didn't know what format he shot Blade Runner on, you, can and, tell you saw the, and you saw the film, and you saw the film, and yeah. they told you it was film, would you would you then say that he deserved to win? It's too clean. It's too it's too clean for film. It looks digital. No. And listen, I have no problem with Blade Runner being shot digitally in the sense that it is a tech film. It's futuristic. But there's something about digital, and we've discussed this before, that looks too clean and too real. I want my movies to look like movies. So when I sit in a theater and watch something like Dunkirk, uh, now look at the category. Uh, now, it's interesting because Paul Thomas Anderson and Nolan are the only two that shot film, I think, unless Greta shot film, not sure. Um, but Del Toro shot digitally, Peel shot digitally, and... Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Well, it's, it's, I, I think it's unfair of you to say that, but then also champion Andy Serkis for a motion capture performance because ah, there, I think there's still beauty. Different. There's still beauty behind. Did, how is it different? There's still oh, no, 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 no. behind not being able oh. to to texturize this. Oh, we can get we can get into this. That's totally fine. I, I don't right. I don't think Sean was, and I, I think I think uh, our producer Gabe is probably freaking out right now <laughs> in say, terms of us just completely going off the. Listen, we, we, I will allow it for a minute or two. Go. Let me just say, let's say two things. So digital cinematography has nothing to do with the effects that is used for something like an Andy Circus. Andy Circus's performance is done through a technology called performance capture, which is right. digitally taken into a computer and then put it out into a digital character. So you could still shoot Andy Serkis' performance on film. No question. No, but, 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 the, but the adjectives in which you use to describe the difference between film and digital right? is what many people use to describe the difference between a motion capture performance and a texturized actually there on film performance. But I'm not arguing that digital is a bad thing in regard to visual effects. I'm arguing that digital is a bad thing for shooting a movie digitally. I think that the actual process of filming a movie should be done on celluloid and film film versus a digital camera. Now, uh, for, look, for example, all right, all right, look, look at Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings was shot on film. Andy Serkis did performance capture and motion capture in those movies on film. So Peter Jackson still shot the movie on film while his performance digitally was created in a computer. Uh, I would argue that it doesn't matter how it was filmed. Uh, the filming of it should be on celluloid. Digital I, is so fine if, with a fact. I don't Deacons think that's enough to rob Deacons of... If Deacons wins for Blade Runner, that's a vote of confidence for digital, then. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think a lot of people agree with him. 
uh, on that on that sentiment. And he's very, very, very passionate and very, very uh, adamant about digital looking just like film. And I could not disagree more. The only time the the closest I've ever seen a digital project a digital filmmaking come to looking like film was Sicario. That one surprised me, and that had a lot. Also, to do with the- also uh, a Denis film. Man, yeah. I thought Shape of Water looked close. I Shape of Water looked like it was shot on film. Shape of Water looks very, very good. I just it, there, there's an it's it's almost impossible to explain it. And if you ask any filmmaker to try and explain why digital is different than film, they'll always tell you the same answer. There's a magic to it. There's a grain to it. It feels 3D. Uh, And listen, I'm not a tech guy in the sense of, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about when it comes down to what's coming into a camera. I just know that visually, what I like to watch on film, on, on, on theaters, is a film not a video. And, and I'm going to play and I, and I've, I presented this to Kevin in, in a passionate uh, dinner that we had in London one time, but I'm going to play devil's advocate between in, in the battle between film and digital. Right. I, I challenge, if I were to sit down Steven Spielberg and right. show him 10 films and say, one of them is digital or show him 10 digital or nine digital. And one of them is film yeah. and say, pick out the one. Do you think that he could do it? He I, could. Yes. He, he I definitely Spielberg could. could. And I, that example. It's like it's almost like the. If wall. I were to sit down, Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man. If one of those movies happened to be Sicario, I probably would have told you that was shot on film. And I, I and I think that Deacons. Listen, I, I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to be pretentious or or or. No, say, I do. This is this is a this is a, a film podcast, man. There's but, no pretentiousness. But it is it is interesting to me, and I and this is the argument that that Patty Jenkins made earlier this year in an interview I did with her. Why are the greatest filmmakers of our time still yeah. shooting on film? If, yeah. if, if they could easily shoot digitally, and digitally is cheaper, and it's you could do more takes, you don't have to worry about film running out, why would you continue shooting film if digital is the economic way to go? But every filmmaker that we all know and love, Scorsese, Spielberg, Nolan, uh, Edgar Wright recently. Does Scorsese uh, still shoot on film? Oh yeah, look at Wolf of Wall Street was shot on film. Um, I mean, I don't know what he's doing recently. He, I mean, listen, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. I, all I know, The Irishman he, is going to Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> that that might be digital. yeah. but uh, but I, I just think it's interesting to me that the greats, Tarantino was going to retire essentially because of digital projection uh, and the idea that digital looks too much like television. Uh, there's. I was watching Big Little Lies the other day on uh, downstairs, and I, I've never seen the show, but I looked up and Lauren was rewatching it, and it was like this, it looked like I was watching a college movie. And it, it, like somebody took a camera on a mini DV and shot like these like off the shoulder digital shots that looked like I was watching some college film. And I'm not, I'm not taking away from the, the, the show, I've never seen it emotionally, I'm sure. It's, great. Would, it's actually a great show. I'm, I'm sure that I would invest in it, no question. but. When you look at something like Big Little Lies on your TV screen, it fits there because it's a television show. When I go into a movie theater, I do not want video on screen. And I'm it's sorry, a- there there were shots in Blade Runner that I would say you could take off of the, the screen I and agree. frame and put on your wall. Dude, listen. And isn't that isn't that cinematography? I agree. Listen, listen, let me say one thing. Roger Blade Runner 2049 was my number three of the year. Roger Roger Deakins is the greatest, one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. I would argue Jesse James is the best thing he ever shot. It's a brilliant- Oh, without question. And that was on film, by the way. But but even Skyfall was digital, which is interesting. Um, But Blade Runner 2049 is, he is an exception in my opinion. He 
still takes what he's learned over the past 30 or 40 years, however long he's been working, and he applies it to the digital filmmaking. Not everybody has that skill set. Uh, so in my opinion, Deacons somehow makes it work. And I love Blade Runner, but it needed but, to be but, but back to your original point, you would take it, take the Oscar from him because he shot it digitally. I think that's unfair. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's that, it's that harsh, but like looking at something like Dunkirk, it, uh, the cinematographer category, Sean, if you could pull that up, I, I think it's Hoyt Van Hoytema. I think it's uh, Del Toro's movie. Um, I think it's uh, Deacons. I can't remember who else is up for cinematography. Uh, Blade um, Runner, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, uh, Mudbound, the first female cinematographer. Yeah, that movie, uh, that movie was beautiful. That was shot was a beautiful on film. Movie. Mudbound yeah. shot on film, by the way. Um, yeah, but it's not going to win. It's, I know. It's, it's, but I just think that, like, I think that, uh, and again, looking at those five categories, you guys all know where I stand with Dunkirk and the way they, the way they shot that large format. And yeah. uh, I, I do think Deacons could sneak in because it's the, it's the, it's that career award. I just wish he shot film, and it's a personal preference, but that's just how I feel. Okay, we're gonna have plenty of time to that break down. That was fun. I don't know if we're gonna do a full cinematography deep dive, but <laughs> that might have been it. Yeah, that was you guys fun. just heard it. And <laughs> for people listening. Go read Deacons' comments on digital versus film. It's it's heartbreaking to me, uh, and, and I, I was I, I, it really is. It's it's crazy that he and he's a master at what he does. So I can't argue with him, but I just disagree. Or I'd right. also argue to, to cross promote. Uh, listen to Kevin's interview with Spielberg, who gave a great answer about the value of film. Like I I, I know I've been like I challenged Kevin on this, and part of it is just because like I personally cannot tell the difference. Um, but I so I so I play devil's ad. I'm not honestly not trying to rip apart Kevin's opinion. It's I, I'm just playing a little bit of devil's advocate for what I consider to be the average moviegoer who probably can't tell the difference. Well, and I'll also as Spielberg's just for Spielberg's answer on this. Um, I think that sometimes we get caught up in what something looks like because of what it's shot on. But but all of it, and this is Spielberg's point, I think, and all of these directors, it all has to serve the story. Right. Yeah. You can't get caught up in the visuals. And if you're if you're getting if they're pulling you yep. out of what the story is, and that might be what hurt Blade Runner is people didn't get into that story. Yeah, yeah, it's I a really cold film. I yes. would argue that the ultimate filmmaker that makes the ultimate movie allows you to simultaneously watch a film, suspend your disbelief in the story, while also admiring what they have done from a technical standpoint. Sure. And to I me, think, that's Spielberg. That's, that, that, exactly. that's Spielberg to a T. And I think, yeah. and, and most filmmakers would argue, and Spielberg has said this before, that once the light goes down, that they don't want you to think about how it was made. But I think that there is a balance. And I remember talking, uh, I remember watching a Wes Anderson movie one time. Uh, and uh, there, it was, I think it was Moonrise, um, um, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise, yeah, Moonrise Kingdom. Was and I there? You, were, you and I were there together yeah. in, in Cannes. Yeah. But there's these really cool shots when they get into the house where the camera literally quickly zooms into yeah. each room. Um, and it literally calls attention to the shot, the, the actual filmography, the, the, the filming of that moment. And I was like blown away by the idea that my brain, while watching that, was still engaged as to what was happening in those rooms, stories-wise, with those characters, while also in my mind thinking, wow, it's a really well done shot. It's very effective. And I think that like Nolan, when you look at something like Dunkirk, you listen to Zimmer's score or watch those shots, 
it has that same thing. Spielberg does the same thing. I, yeah. That to me is the ultimate filmmaker. That does. How that. many times have have the three of us probably leaned over to our significant other during a long take and gone like, "This is all one shot. <laughs> yeah. This is the same shot every this time." For, yeah. And, and to which my every fiance time. lovingly says, "I don't care." You know what's funny? Uh, <laughs> no, they don't. That's a thing. Yeah, no one cares. We care. It's like us. To give my wife full credit, Lauren. Oh, uh, Lauren. Lauren's a film critic. And Lauren's a film critic. Uh, and she'll, like, I'll, sometimes I won't catch it. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of a, of a scene and Lauren will look at me and go, Kevin, is this one shot? I'm like, yeah, it is. Wow. And then I, and then I start, like, blowing, it starts to blow my mind as well. So, I mean, specifically that shot in, in The Post, which I know that Sean number one movie of the year, but that long shot uh, with uh, Hanks and Streep was just yeah. My wow. oldest kid noticed it for Baby Driver for the opening shot of Baby yeah. Driver. Yeah, cool. He leaned over to me oh, in the oh. middle of it and he goes, yeah. he goes, hey, they haven't cut away yet. And I was like, oh, well, I love and you. And your job as a father is complete. <laughs> you can you can throw in the towel now, Sean. You're good. All right, wait. I want to get to the game, so we have time to get to the game because we're yeah. we're we're way over and we're yeah. we're blowing. Gabe through. is so, freaking out. Gabe's losing his mind. He's pulling his hair out of his head. <laughs> um, last week, as I mentioned, we took best best picture winners from the past ten years in a way to sort of talk about the fact that none of this matters, um, and that a few weeks from now we might be discussing. Uh, best picture winners that we, you know, aren't going to hold on to. They're not going to have any lasting value to yep. them. Uh, we got rid of best picture winners that where the Academy totally got it wrong. It's really funny. Like we, we put a lot of stock into the Oscar race and, yeah. Ooh, are you a, yeah. an Oscar nominee? And, and then we you and know, totally crap, crap on, on the fact. Yeah. yeah. We crap all over it. We're like, ah, oh, you don't deserve to be an Oscar yeah. nominee. So what does it matter? And all these other actors and directors, they're all just like, well, I, I'm in it for the work. And, but when these nominations come out, they have prepared statements and yeah. all of these yeah. things. Like it's, it's so important to them. Yeah. Right. So um, we, since we're huge director fans, obviously, um, we're going to flip the script and, and get rid of some directors that we uh, think might have won, uh, either won for the wrong thing or, or didn't win the year that they were supposed to. And, and this triggered a, a number of really great conversations on our text chain that we reference all the time. I want Kevin to go first because as soon as he mentioned his pick for who uh, should have won in a year – I was, it just lit up because he's so totally right. Kevin, you said. Yeah, I mean, I think George Miller should have won for Mad Max over uh, in your Ritu Good for, pick. Was, was it Revenant? And I think. Though I love the Revenant, dude. I didn't, I did too. not. I love the Revenant. I did not love the Revenant. And again, another, um, the Revenant to me was a great film uh, in regards to the way it was shot and the direction. And, and, and again, I, that's another thing I, I disagree um, that Chivo shot that movie digitally, but we can get a whole other thing. Um, but to me, looking at George Miller's Mad Max uh, Fury Road, I mean, that what an experience. Like, I mean, I remember being in L.A. and I remember getting to the screen and I remember someone just said George Miller just left because he was checking the sound in the theater to make sure it was loud enough or, or it was yeah. good. And like to <laughs> me, awesome. and I remember that moment and I was like, I was like, this guy cares. He cares about the cinematic experience. Not that any, not that other filmmakers don't, but I remember when that movie hit and that Junkie XL score hit and the, the practical effects on that action and just the fact that that movie even exists blows my mind yeah. how does that well, movie exist like that and is, what, what, was and it there like, are people 70 like when yeah. he made that movie that's that's, that's yeah. insane that that's movie it. There's so now. I, I agree with you he should have won best as much as i love the revenant and i love in job as directing the revenant yeah. i agree with you miller should have won i mean inuritu is one of the greatest filmmakers ever as well and I, and I and i love him as a director and i'm very very excited uh that 
he gets the recognition he deserves. But Mad Max was a once in a lifetime fantasy movie that I think anybody, it's almost like you dream up what your favorite movie would be. And then you put Mad Max on the screen. Like, how does that even exist? Uh, and it just, it, it is just beyond, I mean, I'll never forget that moment when Hardy's on that like stick and he's just going across as the yeah. explosions happening. I mean, they blew that thing up for yeah. real. That is nuts. It's like, it's like stabbing an IV into your <laughs> vein and then hooking it up to an unlimited source of Red Bull and just existing <laughs> on that for for two hours. Also, Inurito was coming off of a win. He had yeah. just yeah. won for Birdman, yeah. so it's not like they were recognizing you know a filmmaker who was due. They had just rewarded him, um, and uh, and and truthfully, we talked a bit about Birdman last week. If I were to give uh, an Oscar to Inurito for either of them, I'd give it to him for Revenant. So it's weird then that he wins for both of them. Yeah. And in a year when I totally agree that George Miller should have been the one that walked away that year. There are so many filmmakers now who still to this day um, are like, I'm getting, I'm prepping for a shoot. Uh, so I popped in Mad Max to get myself like psyched up and inspired yeah. to show what you can do yeah. uh, with this medium. And it's, it's, I think it's the yeah. film that we're still going to be talking about years from now is like, look at all the people that have been influenced by Mad Max. I want to give Jake credit. Cause I remember when Jake and I were at the Revenant junket, Jake, and I, I remember this specifically because Jake asked Di DiCaprio a great question that I thought was interesting about, I think it was, Ooh, uh, tell me more. It was the one about uh, how much of your acting is actually literally just reacting to the environment versus you playing like, like acting. Oh yeah, yeah. So like, like if you're, if, you're th if I'm thrown into a cold river, I'm right. not gonna have a hard time acting like I'm cold. Right. So I and I remember that answer because it's an interesting point. Uh, how much of DiCaprio's performance was really him acting, or how much of it was him just reacting to the environment? Um, so and it actually stuck with me in the sense that. I don't know when I when I watched the Revenant. It's a great question. It's a great answer he gave too. But I, I did just, I make you hate the Revenant? Not at all. No. What I'm saying is I don't think the Revenant pushed boundaries as Mad Max did. I think Revenant was a great idea. It was a great concept. It was brutal. It was immersive. You were in that moment. Uh, I still don't think DiCaprio should have won for that performance. Um, yeah. Well, I think what Kevin's saying is that DiCaprio can't act. That's, no, what, I'm, no, no, that's no. what I'm hearing. I, my, my you point. hate both DiCaprio and Gary Oldman no. and Roger Deakins? No. Kevin, that's I, a lot to put on, on tape. <laughs> I think DiCaprio deserved it for Wolf. I think Wolf's the best thing he's but ever you done. Can't, but you can't, I'd argue you can't do that, though. You can't, you can't say, oh, he shouldn't have won it for this, he should have won it for that, because they're saying he was the best of that year. Not that the Revenant was his best performance, but so who right. should have won that year? Who, uh, who, was who, who, was, who was he up against that year? I don't even remember. Um but anyways, I'll look where you guys are. Yeah. The point that I was making was that I thought Jake brought up an interesting point about Revenant because how much of DiCaprio's performance is acting and how much of it is reacting to the environment. So, well, it's, I, I mean, it's a cliche, but a lot of actors would say that, oh, you know, acting is reacting. I mean, that's, sure. that's the line. Yeah, but yeah, and I thought it was. It, it, to me, that was a, it. Was such yeah. an interesting. The question blew my yeah. mind. I was like, I didn't even think about that. Like he's literally in the environment, reacting to the environment. And that's what we're watching. So is he really acting? For sure. So, and I mean, to your point, like the, uh, to me, the the great litmus test is right now, a couple of years later. If you said, Jake, for the next two hours, you've got to pop in one of those two movies. What are you going to watch? Hell yes, I'm throwing in Fury Max. Road. I, yeah. I I mean, the Revenant was my number one film that year, actually, but. I would rather watch Mad Max. Really fast. Who's here's who DiCaprio beat for best uh, actor the year that he won for The Revenant. Brian Cranston for playing Dalton Trumbo. Nope. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Damon for The Martian. Nope. Mm -hmm. Michael Fassbender for playing Steve Jobs. Ooh, I did like Fassbender. I'd give him that. And Eddie Redmayne for The Danish Girl. 
I'd give Fastman oh, to that award. Right. I thought Steve Jobs was brilliant. I, I agree with you. I love Steve oh, Jobs. Talk about a rewatchable oh. movie. I love that. I, I find so many people hate that movie. I no, it's love great. Love that movie. It's great. And talk yeah, about, it's talk about interesting uh, cinematography. I know we can't get into cinematography for a movie that came out like Why three not? years ago. Why not, Jake? Let's do before, 30 minutes before, on it. Before a movie that came out three years ago. But there's a whole thing that, that Kevin educated me on about the, the cinematography of that and, and the, the time period. It's, it's, it's shot in which the, the – I don't know. Kevin, explain it. Well, but that, that, that was one of the most impressive and brilliant ideas of how to shoot a movie. And, and, and so if you if you haven't seen Steve jobs, the first act is shot 16 millimeter, super grainy, super old school, middle act 35 clearer, but still film. And then the final act digital. Um, and I thought that was such a beautiful idea of blending together the time period, the increase in technology, even the score of the composer did the same thing. He recorded on like crappy eight tracks or whatever it was, and then uh, uh, brought it up since then. But yeah, I thought Steve Jobs was one of the best scripts and one of the best performances. I would rather Fassbender one. And I think DiCaprio, out of everything he's ever done, if you look at Wolf of Wall Street, it is literally Everything that an actor needs to uh, that has in a movie: comedy, drama, physical uh, physicality. That, that's that's the career uh, performance for him. But it's a bad movie, Jake. Who would you kick no, it's, out? No, it's a bad God, movie. I love Wolf Jake. Wolf who would you kick out? I would kick out uh, Tom Hooper, who won for the King speech, and I would give it to David. Wait, we're Fincher back on Tom Hooper. It's yeah. the Tom back Hooper to, podcast. That's the Tom Hooper podcast. <laughs> um, Rename it. Yeah, I think I would uh, give it, take it from him, and give it to David Finch for the Social Network. Uh, as as much as I love, and trust me, I have. The Social Network screenplay framed on my wall, signed by Aaron Sorkin. As much as I love that screenplay, Social Network is not brilliant without David Fincher. I mean, talk yeah. about direct knowing how to direct that back and forth. Do you think Fincher gets overlooked because um, he's just tough to work with and people don't might might not like him in the industry? I think I'd argue that he sort of falls into that Nolan category where he doesn't play ball um, in right. terms of what it takes to, I mean, remember like King speech, it was a Weinstein film and they knew what they were doing and they capitalized. He was shaking hands and kissing babies at every possible screening. Um, I, I just think that David Fincher sort of, unfortunately he's never, like, he also strikes me as the type of director that doesn't care about whether or not he ever wins an Oscar. And unfortunately, I, I think if you want to win, you've got to care a little bit. I care yeah, a lot whether David Fincher wins an Oscar <laughs> because David Fincher has produced a number of actual masterpieces. Agreed. And yeah. he's only been nominated twice. Uh, he was nominated for Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button. My <laughs> name of all is things. Benjamin Button. I love Benjamin and Button. So do it's, I. It's My actually great. Benjamin it's Button, really great. I was born under Zodiac circumstances. Might, Zodiac might be his best movie. Uh, dude made movie. Zodiac. Dude made mm. Fight Club. Dude made The Game, which is fantastic. Yeah, game is like the end of the game. I don't like the end of the game either. I love so, the end of the game. No, the end of the game like the is the game. like Luke Skywalker not being there in the fight sequence. It makes no, it like it, it no. makes it. It gives not you a point bad. of why am I rewatch? But it gives you that idea of like, what's the point of rewatching it then? Because I know I it's not real. No, he I doesn't. Know. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. With I, uh, that. I uh, funny story. I literally not. I didn't. I, I purposely made myself available in an area where I knew Fincher was going to be uh, after a press conference for one of his movies, and I got to talk to him for like five minutes. I never met the guy before prior to that, and uh, 
he's a fascinating guy. I mean, like, I mean, God, man, like Fight Club and Seven, those movies were so far ahead of their time. And it's another filmmaker who's gone into the digital age now. And I think that that's an interesting thing because he shoots so many different takes, um, specifically with Social Network. He shot 100 takes on that opening scene. It's a little excessive, in my opinion. Um, and I, I don't think that anybody, uh, you know, going back to Seven and Fight Club in the game when he was shooting celluloid, that, that doesn't fly. And I think that I almost... It's interesting. Fincher and Eastwood are on polar opposite ends. Eastwood does one, two takes, and then Fincher does... Because he wants to go golf. Right, no, 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 no. But I, I think that there's a middle ground there. Fincher, I think, plays it out too much. Mm -hmm. um, he, I, it's a little excessive to have your actors do 100 takes of one shot. Uh, and, and so, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this point. I just... Uh, I think Fincher's amazing. Right. I want to drop a hand grenade into this and tell you guys that in uh, 2006, there's no way Martin Scorsese should have won the the, the dude, Oscar. Dude, for dude, And the reason why um, he shouldn't have won that year is because Paul Greengrass absolutely should have won for United 93. And Actually, I will preface this by saying, Kevin agrees with me. Thank you very much. I will preface this by saying that in in this alternate reality where Martin Scorsese does not have to win the Oscar for The Departed, he's won before. He's won for a much more deserving film, um, whether it be Goodfellas or whether it be Raging Bull uh, or whether it be The King of Comedy, Ooh, which I think is fantastic, that's... or whether it be for Cape Fear. Because Martin Scorsese's Oscar for The Departed was truly a case yeah. of we just haven't given Scorsese his Oscar yet and he shouldn't get a Hitchcock-esque uh, it, you know, in memoriam type honor. We're going to recognize him for one that we think is close enough to the type of Scorsese that we like, which is his gangster roles, uh, his hard edged criminal films. Um, but, and they didn't know necessarily how many more films Marty might make. Although, you know, since then he should have been nominated for Hugo, uh, a nomination or a win. My dog disagrees with you. Your dog, he definitely disagrees. And United 93, let's talk about this for a minute, is a genius film that, that, to me, reacted to uh, a topic that is that was super uncomfortable at the time, the 9-11 attacks. Yeah. Um, put people and into I, I a situation. the only successful, like, not, I don't want to call it a 9-11 movie, but the only successful movie to deal with that topic. Absolutely. And has one of those, it, it's, someone put this on Twitter recently, and, and they were like, name a film that has uh, an absolutely perfect ending, you know, tweet below. And someone said, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't mean this as a joke, but United 93, because yeah. it really did. Like, I remember sitting through that movie and thinking, this movie is so edge of your seat harrowing. It's so um, brutally honest in its depiction of what these people went through. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how on earth is he going to end this? Like, what is the ending going to be that's not like a, uh, a devastating gut punch? And it wasn't. It was just it was almost like there was a little bit of hope. Like they they broke through and you felt for a minute like, oh, my gosh, like. It, what's gonna? But you know what the ending is gonna be, right? And and Greengrass, yeah. to me, comes up with this beautiful way to just to bring some closure to this incredible story, and um and and then it gets overlooked and it gets overlooked for the Departed. And the, the Departed, to me, guys, I'm gonna argue the Departed, it's it's just so ham fisted. It's it's overdone. It's but it's how do you know who a cop is? It's someone trying to do. It's it's almost like someone said, make a make a really broad Scorsese movie the way that Scorsese might do it. But it was Scorsese who did it, and I don't get it. It's I, so, I want to speak to your point me. real fast about United 93. Um, that film's a masterpiece, and I remember 
to me, it was a great film because it told a story that not a lot of people talked about. Um, you know, uh, that particular plane and what those people did and um, the actors actually meeting with the real family members of the people who lost their lives in that plane. Um, you know, we'll never know for sure, but theoretically speaking, they stopped that plane from going into a, uh, 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 going into something. Uh, where, yeah. I think there's theories that it was headed to D.C. I don't know where it was going. Yeah. Um, but... The uh, to me, I I'll never forget this. I don't know why I think about think about this when I think about that movie. When I look back at United ninety three, um, I think of that shot. Um, there's this moment where they're in the control tower. I think it's outside of New York or somewhere, and through the control tower they can see the two towers. Yeah. Um, and yes. the way Greengrass shot the movie was a, a bit overexposed, a little bit uh, uh, like lighter. So I remember when they take the shot of the real footage of the planes hitting the towers in yep. the movie, it was like this incredibly seamless edit from the cinematography that was built in prior to that scene and after that scene. Uh, and to me, as a filmmaker, to, to get that right, to literally splice in real footage of our uh, the towers getting attacked to your movie and make it seem like a seamless transition, yep. I, I was I couldn't believe that he pulled that off. One that 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 he was able to even do that. Um, but more specifically, just about the story, I, I I didn't know a lot about that story, and I don't think a lot of people talk about. It. I mean, wow. right rightfully so. When we think 9-11, we think of the towers. I mean, listen, obviously, and then you go to the Pentagon because you know the loss of life and obviously with the plane there's loss of life as well but that story kind of falls into the shadows of that day uh well, yeah and I think one that thing that i thought it really captured too is so much of the like over the course of that that time uh, on that morning just people not comprehending what was happening yeah. you know yeah. and getting air traffic controllers to go through the steps of just like this isn't right you know like th why are these planes you know so close to each other how come this one's not communicating and and doing it in that clinical way that that air traffic controllers have to do and Kevin that's why I love that scene too that you bring up too because when they when you're in the tower with these people who are trying to figure out like what is going on here how come all of these systems that we rely on are not are, are failing one by one in these little steps and then you see an explosion in the background and even if then you hear their Great. conversation they're just like was that like a commuter plane like how did that go yeah. like why does nobody know that? Nobody really knew what was happening. And, and that movie captures that that confusion I mean, in a way that I thought was so brilliant. I think what happened with that movie, was, unfortunately, was the the concept of, quote unquote, too soon. Like and mm -hmm. um, that the problem, the thing about United 93, in my opinion, is that it's it it's an independent movie. It feels like a filmmaker genuinely was telling a story that wanted he wanted to get out there. Um, a lot of people could argue that making him film by 9-11 at that time period you know, was it for money? Was it a cash grab? Was it, was it, uh, uh, but I think genuinely when I watch 993 versus any other 911 uh, movie that deals with the, uh, that day, uh, it felt like a filmmaker trying to tell a story and not make money off of a tragedy. And I think 993 just fell into a very strange bubble of, of, uh, I'm not, I can't see that. Uh, you know, it, it's too emotional, which I understand. I just wish that that film was a, a people were a little more open minded about watching it because it wasn't about uh, the terrorist attack. In my opinion, it was more about people coming up and 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 saving lives and and and, and heroism. And I think that that story 
Uh, it's just, it, it's brutal. It's a very, it's a, it's a really, really well-made film. And I agree with you. I think it should have won over. The Honestly, I like based off of this and like thinking about the movie and especially whenever you said at the beginning, <laughs> excuse me, at the beginning of this, that take away the fact that Scorsese hasn't won yet. Right. I think because of that, I now would have to agree with you. Like if, if we were in a, you existed in a universe where I didn't have the sentimentality factor of wanting Scorsese to win for the departed because he hasn't won yet. Okay, then yeah, I give it to Greengrass for United 93. Well, unfortunately, this is going to be the conversation in a lot of these categories going forward is just like, is this person due, you know, uh, with yeah. Oldman? That's going to be a big one for Oldman. But uh, that's why I got, I love the director category this year because it's it's first timers um, in every essence, except for Nolan. I mean, we get to the point where we can talk about Nolan and whether he's long overdue for films that he's directed before, whether that could boost him into the uh, the front runner category. But yeah. I'm not quite sure. I, I don't feel there like there he's. Yet. Unfortunately, I don't think he's been around long enough to be one of those guys that should have won by now. I mean, when you yeah. talk like like looking at Scorsese, you know, career Oscars, we're talking about a guy that, you know, started making some of his masterpieces in the 70s, didn't win until 2007. I, you know, like uh, it's, it's like Nolan's been on the map for a hot second, but not that many hot seconds. Nolan, Nolan's almost two decades deep into uh, into into his master class of filmmaking, and like and, and Memento is one, I think. So, uh, yeah, I agree with Jake. I think I think now, while I don't think that's criteria for what when someone should win an award, uh, I don't think that Nolan has uh, has that has that depth of filmography in regards to what you're referring to as Scorsese. But um, I would argue personally that Nolan. I would argue that Nolan has, in my opinion, a better filmography than Scorsese. But that's just me. <laughs> wow. I think Jake just missed that point, but I actually agree. No, I, I, I heard you. I just ignore. Wow. Hold on a second. But, but Scorsese no, has. No, 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 hold, no. Hold on. No, hold on. No. Hold on. Can you can you see the, the flames of pitchforks outside of your home yet for what hold you on. the people starting to march towards? Let's but go. I, I get what you're really, saying. It's really fast. Crazy. Really fast. Right. Name, name, name the, the your 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 best Scorsese movies. Just uh, I think you'll get the five. But go ahead. Good, Good fellas. fellas. Taxi okay. driver. Taxi okay. driver. Raging Bull. All right, hold on. Last temptation of Christ. Hold on. Good fellas. Taxi driver. Raging Bull. I wouldn't put Christ there, but I'll, I'll add it. But go ahead. Oh, All right. What else? Yeah. Cape Fear. Uh, Cape Fear. Okay. King of Comedy. King of Comedy for sure. Okay. Hugo. You go. Okay. Uh, I'd say The Departed. I also love Casino. And Gangs in New York. Oh, Gangs, Gangs in New York. York is genius. Yeah. Okay. Gangs in so, New York. Okay. We're, and then what else? Uh, I feel like we're missing. Mean sure. Street. Age of Innocence. Age of Innocence. Street, yeah. I would take out Temptation of Christ and Casino is very I, good. But I, not, I love I Casino. Casino's not classic. Casino's level, a though. fun watch. Yeah, it's a fun watch. But like, okay, then, okay, then look at Nolan. I think we could all, all agree that Memento, Prestige, Dark Knight, Batman, Batman Begins. Begins. Yeah. And then, I mean, you guys know me coming into these later films are my favorite Nolan movies. So, I know, but, but if we, I mean, are we, I mean, we're, we're counting great movies, but like, mm. but you can't say that like Nolan has the same number of great movies as Scorsese, therefore he's the same yeah. level of director. Like, I'm sorry, like, yeah. like Batman Begins well, and, and Goodfellas and also, are not. If you ask Nolan if he's on the same level as Scorsese, he he'd say never. Well, so it's Tarantino would disagree that he's on the same level as like a Spielberg, but I would agree that he is. Um, but let me rephrase. I prefer Nolan's filmography over Scorsese's personally. Okay. Okay. That's, that's my, that's, that, that's my phrase. That's fair. 
All right, yeah. I got to wrap us up. We're way overboard, and uh, yeah, we're we're running into the into other topics that we're going to carry us into other shows. So, um, awards blend. This is awards blend number five, where we've recapped the Oscar nominations and dove into some predictions from a lot of the major categories. We went in depth. About is it just me, or was this our genuinely our best one? Um, they they're all they just get better. I like them. this one. I mean, I, I will say I apologize for railroading the the podcast with the film. No, state, listen, because when Deacons loses, sadly, we'll <laughs> be able to point back to this one and say this is the reason why. Remember he that might, time. He might win though. I, 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 it could be the career award. He might. He might have, he's a know. chance. It um, wouldn't be a career award. He deserves it. It's he does a, deserve it. It is a beautiful, beautiful film that could have been better shot on film. Jake, where can people find you on film. social media? <laughs> I disagree Jake. with Kevin. Um, Jake. uh, Jake's takes on Twitter, Jake Hamilton, Fox 32 Chicago on Facebook. Kevin, where are you? Uh, at Jake's takes on Twitter. Um, and then my phone number is two, eight, one. I'm just kidding. Don't you dare. And then no, uh, Kevin McCarthy TV on Twitter. Um, and then you can find me in uh, not another teen movie, uh, uh, during the scene in the courtyard, uh, with Eric Christian, whatever the guy's name is, Olsen, uh, the Jakey Jakey big mistakey moment. Um, so tune I have in to point that. out that I rewatched that scene um, yes! this past week and just <laughs> to revisit it. And it's really, really funny how it's they're so picking good. out girls who he's going to convert to prom queen. <laughs> and there's like Siamese twins joined to the forehead. <laughs> and then they point out Janie, who he's eventually going to convert. But no, she has glasses. And a ponytail and yeah. paint on her overalls. <laughs> That movie, go back and watch that. My favorite scene is when 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 Chris Evans comes over to her house and she's like doing this like incredible artwork painting of her mom. And when they when they pan to it, it's just it, it, it's a stick figure. <laughs> he goes, he goes, you have her eyes. I'm like, I, 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 every line of that film is brilliant. Yeah, everyone needs to watch that movie. That and Last Action Hero. You know how like lately in LA they've been doing like live readings of, of famous movies. I would just see, oh love to see a one man show of Kevin doing a live reading of not another teen movie. That Dude. would be awesome. I would pay big bucks to see that. Um, Chris looking at a picture of himself, looking at a picture of himself when he's looking all the way. I want to point out that, um, okay, so wait, we're also on iTunes, and I'm going to put a link um, in the comments down below. If you're watching us live on YouTube, we're on iTunes. You can subscribe to us. We have ratings, and I'm super excited about that. Mm -hmm. People have been able to rate the show. We have some comments down below, so please add your comments, add your ratings. All of that helps raise the awareness of the podcast and gets us on more um, downloadable, streamable things, I guess. I don't really know the terms to use for that, but um, but thank you for everybody who's rated us and subscribed to us, and please uh, tell a friend they can come over and, and, and subscribe to us and hear some more film-related stuff. We are going to be back doing Awards, ben, awards Blend number six. Uh, we've already circled Thursday, February 1st as the date where we'll be back together at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific, and we're going to dive into specifically the Best Supporting Actor and Actress categories and talk about whether we have a front runner or possible upsets, and then we're going to dive into um, some other topics of the day. So I just got a message in- from Gabe uh, saying that nothing was recorded today, so we got to restart this. Right, Gabe? <laughs> awesome. Gabe, Gabe My is, name is, is Sean slowly sliding into <laughs> This is Jake Hamilton and Kevin McCarthy. Thank you guys so much for tuning into Awards Blend number five. We will see you all next week. Hashtag Dunkirk. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.